scripture reading is Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we will read the whole chapter, and the text is the last three verses of the chapter. I am still doing the series in Edgerton on Genesis 1 through 11, and verses 22 to 24 of chapter 3. It's the last sermon that I did there, so that's what I bring to you this afternoon. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree, whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the, vo the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden, to, kill, to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims, and a flaming sword which turned every way, to keep the way of the tree of life. 
And so far do we read God's holy and inspired word. The text is verses 22 through 24, which I will now read again. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Today we learn about a great consequence of Adam and Eve's sin. We know that because they sinned, they died. They died spiritually, and they died physically. They certainly began at least to die physically, and eventually their body would be separated from their soul. Now, connected with that consequence of death was another great consequence, and that's the one we focus on now. That is, they're being exiled from the Garden of Eden. They're being exiled from paradise. That was a very, very difficult consequence. You think now about a time in your life where you did a foolish action, and because of that foolish action, you lost, you missed out on a great opportunity, or you lost something that was very precious and special. And going forward, you often think back to that, man, I wish that, that I had not done that. Well, then you think of Adam and Eve and how their foolish action led to their being removed from paradise. How difficult that was for them as they went forward and thought about their foolish action. Now, they were exiled. But it wasn't without hope. They had great hope. And the idea of hope in Scripture and the hope they had was a certain expectation that something good was coming. They had a certain expectation for the heavenly paradise, a better paradise. And we, who are fallen in Adam, we have expectation for that better paradise as well. We have that same hope they did by God's grace. And may we grow through the word brought tonight in that hope. Death can be difficult, very difficult. As we look at it, it can be quite even, even dark to us when we think about it. So may we tonight hear this word about our future and grow in hope. Let's consider the text under the theme, exiled from paradise with hope. Exiled from paradise with hope. First, exiled, and second, with hope. To understand Adam and Eve's exile from the garden, we have to know about their sin. Adam and Eve were sinners that now knew good and evil. That's what verse 22 says. They now knew good and evil. Well, they had sinned and died spiritually. God had made them very good according to Genesis 1 verse 31. They were God's friends. And God gave to his friends Adam and Eve a command. He told them to eat of the tree of life, but not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He even attached a warning to his command, saying, The day that thou eatest thereof, that is, the day you eat of that tree of knowledge, you will surely die. That's Genesis 2, verse 17. Well, we know what happened. The serpent came and tempted Eve. Eve fell 
into sin, eating of the forbidden fruit, and then she gave it to Adam. They sinned, and they died. They died spiritually, and that they died spiritually means that they became corrupt, corrupt within, full of sin in every part, so that it's all they wanted to do and all they could do by nature, sin. They were dead in sin by nature. Adam and Eve also began to die physically, and eventually their body would be separated from their soul, and they would go to hell. Satan would bring them to hell if they were not delivered. In verse 22, God says concerning man, he says, Behold, the man is become, so now he's sinned, and he is become as one of us, to know good and evil. God says man has become as one of us. Us there is in the plural tense, or not the plural tense, but plural in persons. That indicates that God is speaking within his own Trinitarian being. Notice that this passage, right, just Genesis 3, already, indicates clearly that God is a triune God. He's one in being and three in persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The triune God says man has become as one of us, meaning man has become like God. And our question is how? How did man become like God after he sinned? Well, God explains, he says, man now knows good and evil. The triune God knows good and evil in the sense that he determines and distinguishes between good and evil. That man, after he fell, now knew good and evil as God does, means that he now determines and distinguishes for himself between good and evil. He determines for himself what is right and what is wrong. And man, being now dead in sin, he always decides what is good and evil in opposition to God. God says that something is good, And man by nature says, no, it's evil. And God says that something is evil, and man by nature says, no, it's good. So the word no there in the phrase, no good and evil means, has the idea of distinguish. That's how it's sometimes used in Scripture. Man now distinguishes for himself what is good and what is evil. And he's fallen now, so he always makes the wrong determination. He's always opposed to God. He's a rebel now against God. So when what happened to man after he sinned, it shows the lie of the devil. In Genesis 3, verses 4 and 5, the devil told Eve that if they ate of that forbidden fruit, he says, your eyes will be opened. This is verse 5. He says, your eyes will be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. That word God there is better translated God. It's in the plural, but the word there is God. The devil said, you'll be as God, knowing good and evil, if you have this forbidden, if you have this fruit. Well, there was an element of truth to that. <coughs> they would be like God. They would become like God in the sense that they would now determine what's right and what's wrong for themselves. However, notice that the devil made it sound good to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He made it sound good and it most definitely wasn't. After eating the forbidden fruit, man now did determine what was right or wrong for himself But his determination was always contrary to God, and now he is going to walk in sin 
And he'll go on and on in that way unto destruction and hell if he's not delivered. He'll be misery, miserable as he walks in that sin. So the devil made it sound good to eat of this forbidden fruit, but it was all a lie. It wasn't good at all. And that's what we need to remember about all of the temptations that the devil brings to you and to me. Kids, remember that. You think about some of the temptations that the devil brings to you. It makes it look good to do that thing that's forbidden. But it's not good. The devil's always lying. Sin only brings misery and trouble. God's way is the good way. Now, Adam and Eve sinned. They now knew good and evil. And they had to be kept from the tree of life. Since they sinned, they now had to be kept from the tree of life. Verse 22 says, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. No two truths about this tree of life that Adam and Eve now had to be kept from. First, that tree of life had the power to give unending earthly life. Verse 23 says, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden. Or, excuse me, I read the wrong verse. I was talking about the end of verse 22. We read, He takes also of the tree of life and eats and lives forever. There was no death in the garden before Adam ate of the forbidden fruit. But that does not mean that man would never die or that Adam could never die. Man was mortal as one who had been made from the dust of the earth. However, this tree of life had the power to give unending earthly life. And as long as Adam and Eve ate of it, they would continue to live on this earth. The fruit of that tree had great power. God made it that way. Eating of it, man wouldn't die physically. The second thing about this tree to know is that it was a symbol of covenant life with God. A symbol of covenant life with God. God told Adam to eat of it and he would live. When Adam went to that tree, he was enjoying life with the, life with the Lord. When he went to that tree, he would go in conscious dependence on God. Looking to him to provide life. When he went to that tree, he would go in obedience to God. So as he went to that tree, living in dependence on God, he was enjoying life with the Lord. He was enjoying closeness with God. After sinning, though now, Adam and Eve had to be barred from that tree. They had to be kept from it. They could not have unending earthly physical life because they had sinned. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, God had said to Adam and Eve, The day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Adam and Eve had now eaten of that forbidden fruit, so now they had to die. They couldn't just keep having this tree of life now and continue to have earthly life. No, they had to die. God's a just God. He does what's right. Also, because of Adam and Eve's sin, they could not have fellowship with God anymore by going to that tree. God is a holy God. That He's holy means He's separate from sin, set apart from it, and He hates it. 
Adam and Eve, sinners, now could not have fellowship with God in the way of going to that tree. God, holy, they, sinners. And thus God exiled them from the garden. God expelled them from the garden. Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden and cherubims and a fiery sword kept them from returning. Verse 23 says, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden. And verse 24 adds, So he drove out the man. (coughs) Adam and Eve surely wanted to remain in that garden. That's where the tree of life was, the tree that had the power to give unending earthly life, to keep them from that death that to them was unknown and likely scary. The garden was a beautiful and lush place where plants had grown so well and the fruit that was produced was so delicious. But God drove man out. He made man to leave. And you can imagine Adam and Eve gathering the few things that they had and and walking out of that garden. And as they walked, them looking at their surroundings. Thinking about what it used to be. How now they had to leave because of their foolish act. They were put out, never to return. Verse 23 says, so he drove out the man. Excuse me, that's verse 24. Verse 24, so he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Cherubims, cherubims are angels. Scripture refers to them as heavenly spirits and often speaks of them having wings. Psalm 18, verse 10 says, He rode upon a cherub and did fly. So there were cherubims now placed at the east of the garden, and there was a flaming sword there too that turned every way to keep someone from entering into that garden and going to the tree of life. The Bible doesn't say exactly But it may very well be that that flaming sword was held by the cherubims. And that sword turned every way so nobody could get past it. And if anybody tried to get past it, they would be destroyed by the fiery wrath of the holy God. They could not enjoy fellowship with God in that way of going to the tree of life anymore. They were expelled. And those cherubims were placed at the east of the garden, probably not right directly in front of the tree of life, but at the east of the garden so that nobody could even get into that garden anymore. That's the indication of the text. So they could no longer live now. Adam and Eve could no longer live in the place where they had once enjoyed perfect life with God could no longer live in the place where everything was so beautiful and everything had grown so well and there was such good fruit. They could no longer live in that place where the tree of life was. They could no longer eat of it and live forever. They were expelled and they had to leave and they lived on the east, likely in the east of the country of Eden. Understand that Eden is known as a country in Genesis. It's broader than just the garden. There's the garden, that's part of that country, but the country of Eden is broader. We read later in Genesis 4, verse 16, that Cain, Cain, Adam and Eve's son, left Eden and went to dwell in Nod, which was on the east of Eden. So what that verse indicates is that Adam and Eve lived in the country of Eden and likely even on the east side of that country because that's where the cherubims were stationed and that guarded the tree of life, the way to that tree. 
cherubims were placed there because that's where Adam and Eve now dwelled, on the east side of the country of Eden. Think of them seeing that garden often. They were exiled, they lived near to it, they saw it, but they couldn't go back. And they now had to work hard. They were exiled and would now work hard on this earth, right next to the place where they had once labored enjoyably, delightfully, now sent out. Verse 23 says, Therefore the Lord God sent him from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. Man now had to till the ground. What that till means is work. Man now has to work the ground. And it would be difficult. Before, as was just mentioned, the work was delightful. Man worked in the Garden of Eden. He took care of that that garden in which God had placed him. But before Adam's sin, that work was wonderful. There was no death. There were no weeds to deal with. Imagine that. Some of you work the land in your life. Imagine dealing with no weeds. That's what it was like. It didn't take hard work to get food from the plants. And man delighted to care for the garden to the glory of God. But now it's different. After Adam's sin, he was put out of that garden. His work became hard. Genesis 3 verse 17 tells us that God cursed the ground, meaning that he spoke his word of wrath upon the ground. There were now weeds that harmed and choked the good plants, keeping them from producing fruit. And now plants died. And God says about the ground in verse 17, He says, In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. And that word sorrow there means pain, hardship. In pain you will get food from it all the days of your life. I mean, you'll have to work hard. You'll labor by the spread of the sweat of the brow. And it will be that will be your entire life. Working hard to get what you need to survive. And we understand that. That's the way it, it is yet today. Our lives consist of hard work. You know about the hard work it takes to get food from the ground, all the care, all the sweat of the brow that entails. And even those who are not farmers, they know about the hard work it takes to make enough money to feed the family. That's what our life consists of to survive now on this earth. Now Adam Adam and Eve's life now would consist of this hard work. And then they would die. Their life here only being a pilgrimage. They would not stay here forever, but they would die and they would go to be somewhere else forever. They knew it, too. God had said that they would die if they ate of the tree of knowledge, and they had done so. They were not allowed anymore to get fruit from the tree of life, so they were going to die. Their body would be separated from their soul. Their life here on this earth now would only be a pilgrimage just a passing through to somewhere else where they would go forever. And that somewhere else where they would go forever, if they were not delivered, was hell. They had sided with Satan. That's where they were going. How hard that was for, must have been for Adam and Eve to think about. They had to live now in a place where there was death. And that's not the way it was before. And now they knew they'd work here for a time. They'd work here really for their lives, and their bodies would be separated from their souls. And they knew, if not delivered, we're going to hell. Now we too are only pilgrims here on this earth. We can't get any of that fruit from the tree of life. It's not available to us. We work here for a time, and then we die. We're just pilgrims passing through. We're here for a time. We'll work during that time. Then we die and we go somewhere else forever. We've been reminded of that in our lives. We'll be reminded of it again. But that's the truth. It doesn't go on and on and on and on forever. 
And if we're not delivered, that place we go to forever after we die is hell. So you see there the clear consequences of sin. But there's hope. Our God is a gracious God, a wonderful God. Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden. They were exiled to an earthly pilgrimage, but with hope. And that garden that remained, it served to the building up of their hope. Let's see how that is. That garden, understand, was not destroyed after Adam and Eve's sin, but that garden did remain. It must have remained. It must have remained or else God would not have put a cherubim, cherubims there to guard the entrance and to guard the way of the tree of life. That paradise, that Garden of Eden, must have remained for the text speaks of the tree of life. And how it stayed. Scripture doesn't tell us precisely how long that Garden of Eden remained. But it's very likely that it remained until the time the first world was destroyed. That is, until the time the flood came. The Garden remained. But no, too, the Garden was different. Man had lived with God there, talked with God there. God was present at that garden in a special way, and and he wasn't anymore after Adam sinned. He now only dwells in heaven in a special way. He now looks down on man from on high in heaven and on all our doings here, and there's a certain distance now between man and God. Also, the garden was not as beautiful or as lush as it was before the fall, because now there's death, now there are weeds that grow. God could have destroyed it right away. He could have destroyed it right after Adam and Eve sinned, but he didn't. And we might wonder why. The fact that paradise remained was very hard for Adam and Eve in one sense. Very hard. They lived right next to it. They saw it. I mean, it was different. They recognized it was different. For, for them, the garden must have been somewhat like what it would be like for you if you go to your parents' house after your parents have died. Or, or you even look at it from the road and you see the famili- its familiar house, same yard, familiar furnishings even, and, and you're reminded of the times of fellowship that you had there with the family. But it's not the same. It's not the same because your parents aren't there anymore. Well, Adam and Eve must have felt that way too about the garden to a degree. As they looked at it, they saw God wasn't there in a special way anymore. But at the same time, when they saw it, they were reminded of the beautiful life that they had with God there in the past. That beautiful fellowship. In that garden, that garden they saw, they they knew once we walked with God there in perfection with no sin, no misery, We lived in perfect friendship with him all the time. That place was teeming with life, no death. And there were no weeds, no hard labor, but it was always delightful. And we always did it to the glory of God all the time. We were king and queen of creation, pressing all things into the service of God. Always. How happy we were there. They must have pressed their faces against the fence of the garden sometimes and and thought about those days of old. So in one sense, it was very hard for Adam and Eve, but that garden remained. But that continued presence of the garden also gave them hope. It gave them hope for a better paradise, the heavenly paradise. God kept that first paradise there as a promise of a better paradise to come. The heavenly paradise. It was a picture for them of the heavenly paradise where they would live forever with their God. We can understand this in light of the promise that God gave Adam and Eve in 
just a few verses before in Genesis 3, verse 15. God had given them the promise of victory over the devil and over sin. Genesis 3, verse 15, God there was speaking to Satan, but speaking there in the presence of Adam and Eve. And he says, I will put enmity between thee, Satan, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head. So the seed of the woman shall bruise your head, Satan, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, the seed of the woman is Christ. You find that in the New Testament, Galatians 3. That seed of the woman, that promised seed of the woman is the Christ. He would come and crush the head of Satan. He would defeat Satan so that Satan would not be able to bring Adam and Eve or any of God's people to hell. The seed of the woman would save his people from the devil and from sin by paying for their sins. Now God gave that promise to Adam and Eve and he gave them hope. He gave them faith. Gave them faith in that promise so they believed it. God's promise to them in Genesis 3 verse 15 showed that another way to fellowship with God was now open. That way to fellowship with God by the tree of life That way was now closed. They couldn't go to the tree of life. But now the way to fellowship with God was open to them through the promised Savior. The one who would come and defeat the devil and take away their sins. God kept now that first paradise around to remind Adam and Eve of their future that they had a better paradise to come, a heavenly paradise, through the sacrifice of that promised seed of the woman. Knowing the promise of the Savior and seeing the old paradise, Adam and Eve did have hope. They had great hope that they would live with God forever in the better paradise. They had hope according to verse 20. Adam there, in giving his name, giving the name Eve to his wife, showed the hope he had. We read in verse 20, Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now, he was not simply saying that people would be born from her that would live, but then eventually die. No, he's saying she's the mother of all that will live Forever. She's the spiritual mother of those that will live forever with God through that promised seed of the woman and his work. Adam and Eve had hope. They had a certain expectation that they would live in the heavenly paradise with God through the promised Savior. Now, they did not know everything about that better paradise they did not even know as much as we do as those who have the full revelation of Scripture today. But they knew that when their earthly pilgrimage ended, they were not going to be brought down to hell with Satan. They knew that. God had promised the victory in Christ. They knew they had life with God forever. And that perfect life with God was coming. When they died, that pilgrimage ended. They had heaven. And they had hoped that one day all things even would be be made new. Christ would return. The great Savior would come and he would make all things new. What a wonderful promise that was for them. So God used the original paradise in connection with the promise of Genesis 3 verse 15 to give them hope of eternal life with God. They enjoyed fellowship with God during their lives, certainly. Fellowship with God during their lives on this earth through the sacrifices that pointed to Christ. We read of those sacrifices being made in the very next chapter. So they had fellowship with God during this life on earth. 
but their great hope was for that perfect fellowship to come. And that fellowship wouldn't be hindered by sin as they dealt with enemies like the devil. The perfect fellowship with God in the better paradise. Heaven. How good that was for Adam and Eve. How good God was to them in giving them that hope. They faced the difficult life now on this earth. They now were going to have to work hard. And they knew about that death that was coming. They wondered about it, what it would be like. They now had sicknesses and diseases, but they had hope. God promised the Savior and preserved the Garden of Eden to show them what their future would be. Perfect life with Him. What a good God He is. Now we believers, we today, we go through this earthly pilgrimage with that same hope, the hope for the heavenly paradise. And God's so good in giving to us that hope too. We know that the way for us to fellowship with God has been opened by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We have no way to fellowship with God if we're left to ourselves, just like Adam and Eve didn't. We sin in Adam and we sin every single day. God's holy. We're sinners. We, he has to be separate from sinners. We can't dwell with him. We can't live with him if left to self. There's a sin problem. A sin barrier. And we can't make the payment that removes that sin either. The payment that has to be made to remove that sin is suffering under the wrath of God for all those sins while perfectly loving God. And we can't make that payment. So as far as we're concerned, that way to God, that way to fellowship with Him is closed. It's shut. It's, there's, no, there's no way for us to fellowship with God left to ourselves. But the way for us, God's people, to fellowship with God has been opened. Has been opened by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He was slain for our sins. He had that fiery sword of God's wrath come upon him at Calvary. As the one who had all our sins upon himself. Paid for them all. And based on that great work, now we have fellowship with God. We have it even during this life. We mentioned before that in the Old Testament, they enjoyed fellowship with God through those sacrifices that pointed to the Messiah. Well, now we, God's people today, we have fellowship with God too. He even lives within us by His Holy Spirit. And he speaks to us now in His Word and love. And we speak back to Him in prayer and song. There's fellowship. We have that fellowship based on Christ's sacrifice, the one who removed the barrier by paying for the sins of us, God's people. Now, God doesn't use the garden anymore to promise a glorious future and to point us to it. He did that with Adam and Eve. He used that garden to, to give them hope. Today, what God uses is His Word. He uses the Word. He promises us in the Word that when we believers die, we will go to that better paradise in our souls. That's where we're going. Luke 23, verse 43, Jesus says to the thief on the cross, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Jesus promises us believers today too, you will be with me in paradise Immediately after you die, you'll be there in your soul. You'll live in the place where there is no sin and there are no spiritual enemies. No sin that will hinder fellowship between me and you. No sorrow, no pain there either then, or death. No work either that's not delightful, but always working with joy to the glory of God. That's God's promise to us for what happens after we die. And then God gives this promise too. 
He promises in his word that at Christ's return, we will live with God in the new heavens and new earth. Revelation 22, verses 1 through 3. Beautiful text. It would be good if you turn there now to read it. Revelation 22, verses 1 through 3 talks about the new heavens and the new earth. Tells us about this everlasting life. Gives us this promise. Revelation 22, verse 1 says, He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. So you notice there, Revelation 22 speaks of the tree of life being in that new heavens and new earth. That tree of life, you recall, is a symbol of covenant life with God. Adam would go to it, living in conscious dependence on God for life, and he would enjoy life with God at the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. Well, Scripture speaks of that tree being in the new heavens and new earth to show that we will have everlasting life with God there and will enjoy communion with God there. That's why the Bible speaks of the tree of life being there. It shows to us so clearly that's what the new heavens and new earth will be all about. Life with God. Communion with God. Him, enjoying His nearness at every moment. And like it was in Eden, there will be no sin in heaven or the new heavens and new earth. There will be no sin to hinder that fellowship with God. For as verse 3 of Revelation 22 says, His servants shall serve Him. What a wonder. No sin ever. No sins that bring such disappointment and hard feelings and, and lead to such trouble and are so displeasing to God. None of that. And there will be no curse there, verse 3. The creation now we know is affected by that curse so that there are weeds and there is death and there is hard work, there is sickness. But in heaven and the new heavens and new earth there will be no curse. God's word says it. Everything will be teeming with life and with beauty. Work will always be a delight and always be done perfectly to God's glory. And we will never get older and we will never get sick and we will never die. And that heaven and the new heavens and new earth after Christ's return, it will be even better than the Garden of Eden. We sometimes think how amazing that would have been to be in Eden with God. In those days before Adam and Eve fell. How amazing that would be. Well, heaven will be even better. This is why. In Eden, in the Garden of Eden, in paradise there, Adam could fall. He could sin. And he did. But in heaven and in the new heavens and new earth, we will not be able to sin, ever. There will be no tree of the knowledge of good and evil there. You notice in Revelation 22 that this passage never mentions the tree of knowledge being there, just the tree of life. We will never be able to sin or disobey God in glory. That's first. We won't be able to sin there, but it will also be better than Eden. Because unlike it was in Eden, we will be able to see God in the face of Christ. Revelation 22 verse 4 says, They shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. We will see the face of the risen and ascended Lord, the Lamb, 
who died for us. We will see his love shining forth to us. His, his amazing love, his infinite love shining forth to us. His precious blood-bought children. Remember that lamb, Jesus Christ. Revelation 22 speaks of the lamb being there for a reason and calls him the lamb, the savior of the lamb, for a reason. It's showing that the only way to that fellowship with God in the better paradise, the only way is through the sacrifice of the lamb. And he's made that sacrifice. He has opened the way for us sinners to life with the Holy God. So thanks be to God for the Lamb tonight. And go forward this week with hope and a desire to praise our gracious God. Go forward with hope. We live on a sin-cursed earth. There's hard work here. There's sickness. There is death. But we have a certain expectation. A certain expectation of life with our God in the heavenly paradise forever. In that place of perfection forever. We're just passing through. We're on a pilgrimage to that place. That's our future because of Christ. He's opened the way. Praise Him. Amen. Our Father which art in heaven, Lord, we stand in awe of thy grace tonight. We know our sin. As far as we are concerned, the way to thee is closed off. But Christ has come. Thou hast sent Christ to take away those sins and open the way to fellowship with thee. And Lord, we have hope for everlasting life with thee in the heavenly paradise. What a wonder that is. But that's ours. May we live each day with that hope and thus also, then also a desire to give thee glory and thankful response. Strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.